0: Uh, Good evening, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 116th season of the Empire Club of Canada. Welcome to the Eglinton Grand. I am Mike Van Solen. I am the host for today's event. uh, To be premier, the Ontario Liberal Leadership Debate. I call this meeting to order. I'd like to start by calling up to the audience uh, our Liberal Leadership candidates. I'd like to uh, begin by offering sincere appreciation to the sponsors uh, for today's event, who I know, uh, who I know came forward to sponsor it because of their commitment and belief in the importance of, of discussions and events like this. So to Aurora Strategy Group and Marcel Weider, thank you. <laughs> to Spencer Stoop, <laughs> and to Spencer Stewart and John Koopman, thank you very much. I'll acknowledge our events partner, MediaEvents.ca, and our media partner, The National Post. Uh, tonight's going to be a nice and fun evening. Feel free to uh, talk about it on social media, on Twitter or Insta, at EmpireClub_Club, underscore Club, plus all the candidates' names and handles that you may want to uh, throw in there as well. Um, I'd like to acknowledge a few people who are in the audience with us today. Uh, former Finance Minister Charles Souza. Former Deputy Premier, Deb Matthews. The the Honorable David Peterson, former Premier. Who I owe a special gratitude to because I had a meeting with him about a year ago and he encouraged me to uh, take this role, so thank you for that, Premier. Uh, Interim Leader, John Fraser, MPP. Party President Brian Johns. And to all the uh, all the people I no doubt missed, uh, we appreciate uh, you being out here. <laughs> Greg Sobera, uh, former finance member Greg Sobera. <laughs> da- David Jim, uh, all the all important people, please stand up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to take a moment just to tell you a little bit about our Empire Knights. These are a, a new feature of the club. Uh, it started a couple years ago, but they're gaining, gaining more and more uh, prominence. Uh, and it's uh, crowds like you that come out that uh, really make it special. It's really a simple concept. Let's have some food and, and some drinks. Uh, let's bring out uh, engaged and interested people. Uh, let's put some uh, smart, uh, interesting people to tackle some big issues on the stage, and then let's have a chance to to have a conversation afterwards. So um, that's what you get to participate in tonight. Feel free to stick around afterwards so we can continue the conversation. Um, let me also say that. Uh, That tonight is very much in keeping with what we do at the Empire Club. While it may be the first time we're having a debate, having important conversations uh, that build this nation is really what the Empire Club is invested in. So I thank the Liberal Party and all those on the stage tonight for, uh, for helping with that as well. And then finally, I guess I'll uh, a note, as, as maybe one of the few conservatives in the room, I will, uh, I will make a, 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 a special acknowledgment for the importance of uh, bipartisan love and understanding, um, which is very important. And, and uh, look, we look, we look down south, and we see how uh, partisan divides become deeper and deeper. And I'll tell you that in my time in politics, the opportunity, sure, when the game is on and we're when you're when you're when you're in the fight, it's important to play hard. But I also always enjoy the opportunity with uh, with uh, folks from all parties to come together. And I also know that's a process that you will be in. As a Liberal Party today, you're all in different camps, uh, but when this is through, I'm sure you'll find a chance to come together as well. So now I'm gonna get out of the way, and I'm gonna call up a a good friend, uh, Kelly Jackson, third vice president of the Empire Club, who's gonna properly introduce everybody on the stage now. Kelly Jackson.
1: Thank you, Mike. Welcome. To be premier, for... If you think about the title of this event, it's easy to assume that The six individuals you see sitting before you are connected in their desire to become Ontario Liberal leader and ultimately have a chance to become the Premier of our great province. But I would say that what these candidates actually have in common is a desire to bring a new vision to this party, a party that has been so influential in shaping the Ontario we know today, and a desire to engage people in meaningful conversations about what we want Ontario to feel and look like in the future. It's a challenge to think about how in an increasingly busy world, people can be connected and we can truly understand, as a party, what really interests people and motivates people, and to show them how we are listening. And how we are striving to improve quality of life for all. And I think we all believe in demonstrating the value of public service to an often cynical electorate and media. What they may not have in common, well, that's why we're here tonight. We're going to hear from them about what differentiates them. And I think you'll appreciate that they all have a wealth of experience and perspective and knowledge to bring. And so, Bear with me as I introduce our six excellent candidates and our two moderators. Mitzi Hunter. Mitzi Hunter is currently MPP for Scarborough Guildwood and critic for Finance, Treasury Board, Government and Consumer Services, Tourism, Culture and Sport. Prior to this post, she was Minister of Education and Associate Minister of Finance. Mitzi was the Chief Administrative Officer of the Toronto Community Housing Corporation and served as the Vice President of Goodwill Industries. Kate Graham. Kate Graham teaches studies and writes about politics at Western University, King's University College, and Huron University College. She is a fellow at the Centre for Urban Policy and Local Governance at Western. Before entering academia, Kate spent a decade working as a public servant, most recently as Director of Community and Economic Innovation. (laughs) Elvin Tedio. Elvin is a father of three, a former public servant, and an advocate for education, childcare, and the environment. He was Director of Government Relations at Sheridan College, and Senior Policy Advisor to the Minister of Training, Colleges and Universities. He studied at Queens and Harvard Universities. (laughs) Michael Coteau. Michael immigrated to Canada from England when he was a toddler and he grew up in the Flemington Park neighborhood and was the first member of his family to graduate high school and university. He was first elected as a member of provincial parliament for Don Valley East in 2011. Michael served as the minister of children and youth services and he also served as minister of community and social services, minister of citizenship and immigration and minister responsible for anti-racism. Brenda Hollingsworth. Brenda practices law in Ottawa. She founded, uh, as a litigation lawyer, OJ Hollingsworth Professional Corporation. Prior to moving to Ottawa in the mid-2000s, she also practiced law in Toronto. She had been called to the bar in in the 90s in 1997 and was named uh, as an Ottawa Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award recipient. Stephen Del Duca. For the last 30 years, Stephen Del Duca has been a local campaign volunteer, a riding president, a campus club president, a political staffer, a campaign manager, an MPP, and a cabinet minister. And now to our moderators. I think uh, for this crowd, we have two very familiar faces for our moderators. But I will take a moment to acknowledge that uh, they, they have a wealth of different communications, strategy experience between them. Don Guy is the owner and chief strategist of Polera. He has been a campaign mastermind uh, for many, <laughs> many things in Ontario and beyond, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Carmen Wong has more than 20 years of experience in communications um, and has a unique perspective of being on both sides of the camera. She recently uh, was working as a reporter and anchor for CP24 and before that had spent over 10 years as a communications advisor to the Premier of Ontario, several cabinet ministers and multiple candidates. She also served as the Premier's Director of Issues Management and Legislative Affairs. She now heads up her own communications company. And with that I turn it over to our moderators. Uh,
2: thank you Kelly and uh, thank you Empire Club uh, for this uh, fabulous evening and this fabulous opportunity. Uh, uh, I think speaking for both uh, Carmen and myself we're honored to be asked to be on a stage with these six incredible candidates and uh, to spend some time with you this evening uh, here in the audience. Uh, in the Eglinton Grand and uh, on the web, uh, getting to know them a bit better and hearing them uh, answer the question, uh, why uh, should I be premier? And just to set the context for that, um, I think the last time I was in this theater was seeing one of the Star Wars movies, which you may remember was about you know the, the basic theme was about a a small band of uh, publicly-minded, good, progressive, centrist, uh, uh, rebels uh, with very few resources, uh, a few beat-up ships, uh, maybe a minivan in space, uh, who were uh, taking on this awesome, extremely well-funded and all-powerful emperor and uh, his agenda of darkness. (laughs) I don't know why that came to mind. Uh, Other than I think it was the last time I was in this theater, was seeing that movie. Um, But it does set up the question uh, why should each of these candidates be premier? And the reason uh, I think the Empire Club wanted to host an event based on that because many of you uh, have been involved in politics in various roles. And as you know, that's actually the question that illuminates the most for voters. It's that classic elevator pitch and David uh, answered it uh, so well. It says something about who you are and your values and your priorities and your agenda all in about 25 words or less. and. Uh, That is really important to hear, I think, uh, for voters across the province and for people who are interested in the Ontario Liberal Party. And in particular, in this context, this team has done an incredible job over the last few months, together with that uh, tiny ragtag rebel caucus uh, under the leadership of uh, John Fraser. Bringing us from uh, a place that was uh, pretty tough about a year and a half ago to uh, first place in the polls as of today. So this question matters. And what these people say on the stage tonight and the selections that people make at the leadership uh, election meetings in February and the convention in March, it matters. Because it is possible. One of the people on this stage could be premier. In two years. So with that I turn it over to Carmen.
3: Okay, Um, I like rules so I'm gonna go over some of the rules and the format that we have for you uh, this evening. So we're gonna start with some opening statements. Each candidate will have two and a half minutes to give their opening statements. Candidates feel free to either sit down, you can stand up or you can use the podium if you'd like. Uh, after that, we're gonna open the conversation up um, to questions from the moderator. We also have at your seats some cards for the audience. If you'd like to write down a question for us to ask uh, anyone on this panel or to the group, write it down, give it to a member of the Empire Club team and they'll pass it on to us. Okay, in the back, Jehan has the cards, That's what I'm told. Uh, Also, if there's time, we might be going to the audience for some live questions, and if that happens, we will call for that, and there'll be someone with a microphone walking around. Just raise your hand, and we'll get to you. And finally, after that, we'll have closing statements, one minute each for each candidate, and that'll be the conclusion of the evening. So with that, let's get started, and we're going to start with Mitzi Hunter. Uh, Mitzi, you've got two and a half minutes for your opening
4: statement. Thank you, Carmen, and uh, thank you very much, Don. Thank you, Mike and Kelly, for the wonderful introduction. And bonjour, it's uh, really wonderful to be here with all of you at the Empire Club for this very important conversation, and we're gathered on the traditional territories of many indigenous people. You know, it's an important question that the Empire Club is asking us tonight to think about, and to think about as liberals. Who will lead this province? But there's even a more important question. And that question is what change do you want to see? What is important to you for Ontarians in this province? And, you know, 2018 uh, was certainly a message that we all felt as Liberals. And we've spent the last year reflecting on that. And, uh, and those are important reflections that we have to have as a party. And one of the things that, be, that we know is that we had stopped listening to Ontarians. And one thing is clear, the next leader of this party needs to be someone who listens. Unlike all the candidates that are on this stage, and we have some fantastic people on this stage, I represent that change. I'm not a career politician. And yes, I've been a cabinet minister for three portfolios, three important ones. I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm an immigrant. I'm a nonprofit CEO and a community builder. And the vision that I have for this province is a bold vision. It's one that looks at a new liberal vision, one built on social and economic change. And that change is something that is really important as we look forward into the future. We know that we have a world and an economy that is facing disruption and change. And we need to be a province that is ready to embrace that. And, you know, frankly, what we have today, we know that that's not good enough. Sorry, Mike. It just isn't. I go toe-to-toe with Doug Ford each and every day in the legislature, fighting against the cuts that are happening to valuable programs and services in this province. Our economic future is built on education. That is the key and the pathway that we need to take as we move forward to forge a new vision that makes sure that Ontario is ready and able for a strong economic future for all of our citizens. Okay, Mitzi, thank you
3: very much.
2: Okay, Kate Graham.
5: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Good evening, everyone. Salou. It is an absolute privilege to be here with you tonight. In particular, because for me, politics was not in the plan. So three years ago, I was working as a public servant at the City of London. I loved being a public servant. I'd spent 10 years working at City Hall. I'd reached my dream job. I was running four departments at the City. But there were two issues in particular that I just could not get over. Number one, London has the second highest injection drug use rates in the country. Every single day, I would see people struggling with crippling addictions. Number two, We were the largest city in the country without a rapid transit system. And for me, transit, it's an equity issue, it's a climate issue, it's about affordability. And these were things where we needed help from Queen's Park. And so sometimes you get to that moment where you have to ask yourself, how much do I actually care about this? What am I willing to do to be able to solve those problems? And for me, there is nothing I would not do to be able to help the people in my community. So I quit my job, and I ran as your candidate in London North Centre. And you know, I can read the polls. I knew it would be hard, but I ran because it was the right thing to do, because we were finally making investments in the things that I think are important. And I will tell you, it is that same motivation that brings me to this stage tonight. What am I willing to do to solve the problems I see in this province? I care about climate change. I care about inequality. I believe our politics has reached a point where it is broken and people are so turned off that they don't turn out to vote. We don't see women in leadership roles, and people's trust and confidence in politics is at an all-time low. And we as a party have an amazing opportunity. There is nowhere to go but up right now. We can think very big about who we are and what we stand for. I am in this race because I am very excited about building a new Ontario Liberal Party where we build on the strengths of the past, But we also aim very high in terms of the quality of life that we want to see for the people of this province. My whole campaign is about well-being. At the end of the day, people are looking for less politics, less partisanship, and more focus on the issues that matter in their quality of life. I am a public servant at heart, and I am on this stage because I am here to serve the people of this province. Thank you very much.
3: Next up, uh, we have Alvin.
4: Thank
6: you. Uh, Hi there, my name is Alvin Tejo. I'm actually really glad we're not standing behind podiums today because most of the time you can't see me behind it. Um, (laughs) Kelly introduced me and said that uh, the first thing that she mentioned was that I am a father of three. And I think, to me, that's the most important part of that title and the most important part of that introduction. It's that I'm a father right now who, like so many Ontarians, are very, very concerned about the future of this province about what my three kids, who are five, seven, and nine years old, are going to do when they grow up, the type of education system that we are going to have and deliver for them, the type of economy that we're going to have, and what type of future jobs they might have. Right now, we're at a crossroads, where we know that the future is uncertain. And I don't think it's ever been this uncertain before. We need to fight climate change in a real way that is tangible. We need to see it as an opportunity, not as a burden. We need to see as our education system, as a tool to keep us ahead and keep our economy strong. And the reason I started getting involved in politics was because I saw families, families like mine, who couldn't afford to pay for childcare. I had two kids in childcare for four years, and I worked in the Ontario government. And it was costing me $35,000 a year. That's more than university tuition. That's more than the number of people's mortgage payments. And I didn't believe that we were doing enough to address those concerns. So I was really glad when the last government was talking about expanding childcare. And I've since proposed that we need to expand it even further. Let's have a universal childcare program that enhances our education system and goes all the way from 18 months when parental leave ends. Let's build an education system that's world class by taking the best parts of the entire system of the Catholic system, of the French system, and merge them together so we can provide the best single education system in the world. And let's look at the fact that in a province that's the 20th largest economy in the world, that we still have two million people in this province living in poverty. And that we know what the solution is. And it is a universal basic income that creates a floor for people to stand on so that our province doesn't lose $33 billion a year in productivity paying for poverty, but instead provides a floor for people to lift themselves up. I'm Alvin Tejo, I thank you so much for coming out tonight and I look forward to tonight's debate.
2: Michael Cotel.:
7: Thank you very much. <clears throat> well, I'm going to jump right into it. I want to talk about the difference between the front runner, which is Steven Del Duca, who's my friend, and we share many of the same values. And in fact, we built this party together over the last few years, many of us here on the stage and people in the audience. I wanna talk about the difference between my approach and the frontrunner's approach, Stephen's approach. Now Stephen says that if we're gonna go forward as a party, we're gonna have to take on the biggest fight we've ever had in our life. We're going to have to go after Doug Ford, we're gonna have to raise the most money possible, and we're gonna have to build candidates right across the province and the best team. And I agree with that to an extent, But I think there's a big piece missing. And this is what I've been talking about for the last uh, several months across the province of Ontario. My campaign's always been a values-driven campaign. The only thing we had left back in June of 2018 were our values as Liberals. It was the only thing that we could salvage, and we did that. And we went forward, and we're building a new party, and I think that's great. But there's something missing from our party. There's something missing. I believe that we need to redefine what it means to be a liberal today and understand exactly what we're fighting for. Now, we can go out and we can actually build a new party, but if we don't have a purpose, we will never be able to accomplish what we're setting out to do. And yes, we can think in two-year cycles, in four-year cycles, and many parties across this country and around the world think that way. But I believe, as liberals, we need to think beyond that. What does the next 10 years, the next 30 years, the next 50 years in this province look like? And that's what we're fighting for. We're fighting to build a party that's aligned with where the people of Ontario actually wanna go. And that's how I think we're gonna build a party that can compete in the next election. This is not about Doug Ford. There will be people on this stage that will say, this fight's about Doug Ford. It's not about Doug Ford. This is about redefining what it means to be a liberal today so we can take on a fight to the pro- people, of, to the province of Ontario against conservative ideology and others that want to take us backwards. It's about making sure that we can, make, we can build a party that is responsible enough to take on the challenges of tomorrow. And I see that every day. Everywhere I go in this province, I see missed opportunity. And I believe that we can build a party that's prepared to take on the challenges of tomorrow. My name is Michael Kotu, and I need you in this fight. Thank you very much.
8: The Thanks very much. My name is Brenda Hollingsworth, and I haven't met a lot of you, so nice to meet you. Bonsoir, tout le monde. Je suis tellement content d'être ici ce soir avec vous. I would like to talk about my vision for Ontario because I think it's actually vision that will result in the next person assuming the position of Premier. Ontarians want someone with vision. Of a broad, with broad appeal, and I believe that's what I offer. I want to talk about a better Ontario. The kind of Ontario that I want my two sons, Zach and Jordy, they're 18 and 16, the kind of Ontario that I want them to enjoy with all the opportunities that I had and then some. There are four things that I think are of utmost importance when we talk about a better Ontario. And the first one is climate action. Almost everybody I've talked to in the course of this race agrees that climate action is a priority. When I started, I expected to hear it from the youth, but now I'm hearing it from seniors, I'm hearing it from farmers, I'm hearing it from people in the urban centers. We have a pretty broad consensus, with a notable exception at Queen's Park, that climate action is an absolute priority. But it's an obligation and also an opportunity. And for me, it's that opportunity that we have to communicate to the province. There is absolutely no reason that Ontario can't be the leader, the global leader in green technology. So if I were Premier, that would be important. And if I were Premier, that would appeal across party lines, and that's important. The second thing I want to talk about is healthcare. I am in this race. Because of my commitment to improve Ontario's healthcare system. We have excellent doctors, nurses, allied healthcare professionals, but we have trouble connecting patients to those services. A better Ontario has a healthcare system where Ontarians, whether you live in Timmins or Thunder Bay or Toronto, can access our excellent, excellent specialists. Education, of course, we all agree as liberals that education is important, and liberals traditionally do extremely well. My final point is economic innovation. I am committed to being an economic center for North America, specifically in the tech sector. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's why I should be premier.
9: (laughs) Steven Del Duca. Well, thanks very much. Uh, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, liberal friends. I'm delighted to be here on this stage with five other women and men who are doing an extraordinary job running to rebuild our party so that we are ready for an election campaign. Let's remember that we'll begin 26 months after we conclude our leadership convention and have chosen our next leader. Earlier today, when I was thinking about our discussion tonight, there was a word that kept coming back into my mind, and that word was motivation. What's motivating each one of us? What's motivating myself to run for leader, to tour to more than 140 communities across Ontario? We know, we know in this room and in this province what motivates Doug Ford, what motivates his friends. The spoils of power, rewarding themselves, rewarding those they get along with. What motivates me? My wife and I are raising two young daughters. My wife Utilia is here tonight, right there in the third row. We're raising two young daughters who are 12 and eight. And whether it's an education system at the primary, secondary, and post-secondary level that's properly funded and accessible and affordable and open, or whether it's confronting the climate emergency with a real plan that will get the job done, or it's the future of an economy where work will continue to be more precarious, all of that I am motivated because when they look back later in life, they will want to know what leaders did to help them and be on their side. I think of my parents who are aging, who want to retire after a lifetime of sacrifice, dedication, and hard work. They want to know that they have a government on their side. They want to know that they have the kind of income security as they grow older and a health care system that will help them. And I think about my neighbors and my friends, many of whom work harder today than ever before, but don't feel like they're getting ahead. Again, they're looking for a premier and a government at Queen's Park that's got their back and is on their side. I am motivated by this and so much more. And there is, my friends, one thing that stands between us, not just as Ontario liberals, but as Ontarians, between the kind of province that we have today and the province that we aspire to. His name is Doug Ford. And we have to be prepared for the fight of our lives to beat him on June 2nd, 2022. Invest in what matters most to my kids, my parents, and the millions of others across Ontario like them and get our magnificent province back on track. Thank you so much for being here tonight.
2: Thank you to all the candidates for the opening statements. Uh, we are now gonna go in a reverse order with a couple of follow-up questions. And you know the experience that you're having in these leadership debates and leadership Forms is interesting, but there's six of you on stage. Uh, I'd like you to fast forward and think about two and a half years from now, and you are the uh, elected Liberal Party leader, <coughs> and you're on stage with Premier Doug Ford and Andrea Horvath. And the question I have for you in that, that context is, for each of you, and starting with Stephen Del Duca, when you're on that stage, that debate stage with those two other individuals, first and foremost, what makes you a better premier than Doug Ford?
9: Well, I mean, could you set the bar a bit higher? Is that, <laughs> is that possible, no? I mean, all, all kidding aside, friends, I, uh, you know, I, think it, I think it does come back to the word that I used at the outset of my remarks tonight. What is motivating me? What's motivating us? And this is an incredible field of candidates that are seeking to lead this party. Every single one on this stage has worked so hard for months to make sure that we have the strongest possible way to go forward. You know, a former leader of our party used to say, it's not about us. It's not simply about chalking up another victory. It's about the millions, in this case, nearly 15 million people who call our province home. If we stay focused like a laser on their concerns, on their anxieties, on their hopes and their challenges, and we forge a a compelling set of ideas that will help them understand at a visceral level that we are on their side. I think that we're gonna do extremely well and be successful in that election campaign. And I also think it's really important for us to make sure that we hold Doug Ford, and frankly, even Andrea Horvath, to account for the incompetence, for the mistakes that they keep making. We see it again just this week in education, for goodness sakes. Instead of being at the table to negotiate in good faith, what are they doing? After they made this mess, they're trying to bribe parents. Get back to the table. Talk about the future of education. Talk about the future of making sure we have small class sizes and rising graduation rates, but staying focused at all times on the outcomes and the progress that the people of this province expect and deserve. Thank you, Stephen. Brenda?
8: Thanks very much. One of the primary differences between Doug Ford and probably most liberals uh, is what they see as an expense and what liberals see as an investment. Take education, for example. It's one of the biggest budget items that we have. Liberals treat education like an exp- like a investment. We know that if we invest in students, it pays dividends. Not instantly, but in the long term, we're all better off when we invest in education. Same thing with climate action. We will invest today because we know it will pay off later. So the ability to recognize things that, yes, cost money today, but result in uh, savings, productivity, better quality of life, all of those things, as liberals, we understand. Doug Ford simply does not understand. I just
3: wanna, before we get to Michael, I mean, the question Don is getting at, these are, in hand-to-hand combat, how are you gonna be a better premier than Doug Ford?
7: During the debate, (laughs) you said, right? (laughs) And beyond. I think that I'm the exact opposite of Doug Ford. You know, my life story is the liberal story, like many people in the audience here. I've worked hard for everything I've uh, ever received in my life. Uh, my parents came here; uh, we were immigrants, and uh, I was the first one to uh, to finish high school and then go off to university. Um, so I believe that I'm the exact opposite who, uh, uh, the exact opposite of Doug Ford. You know, he says that he's for the people, but I believe I'm of the people. I come from a community where we looked after each other, where we worked hard for each other, and we made sure we protected each other. That's the type of Ontario we need to replicate uh, right across this, uh, this province. We need to make sure that we double down on the belief, that single belief that brings liberals together, our values, and that is that we are so much better when we actually work together, we protect each other, and we have each other's back. And that's the difference between Doug Ford and myself. And When it comes to Andrew Horvath, I believe I can build a coalition here in the province of Ontario that can challenge the NDP. Uh, during the last election, I, uh, I had uh, support from organized labor in a very difficult time. Uh, I was able to build a local coalition and, uh, and win against the deputy mayor of Toronto, uh, who was considered a star candidate. I have a history of winning elections. I've won six in a row, and I believe I can lead this, uh, this party and this province into another victory in twenty twenty two. Thank you. Alvin? I think we need to be conscious of the fact that
6: we didn't just lose the last election. Doug Ford won the last election. And he won because he divided us very successfully. And we as Ontario Liberals know that we're stronger when we can build coalitions and bring people together. And so I think it's incredibly important that we take the next election campaign with the idea that we can be that party that represents everyone. That we can give people a reason to vote for us, not just against Doug Ford. We absolutely need to highlight the contrast and the failures and the mistakes that this government has made, but we need to take the next step past that and offer a vision for the province that says, we can do this better. And we can do this better because we're with you, because we understand what you're going through. We see the challenges that your businesses have, that your families have, to make life more affordable, to give people a reason to vote for us. Because, frankly, we're at a time right now where the largest voting block in this province, in this country, is now millennials, people who are under 40. And we haven't given them enough reason to vote for us. We haven't given enough reason for Ontarians to vote for us again and to trust us again. And that means taking bold positions that we know people are not afraid of taking. And that's what I would do.
5: Hey are fed up with politics. (coughs) In the last election, more people didn't vote than who supported any party or leader. And I suspect that when we get to that debate stage before the next election, once again, it is gonna feel like hyper-partisan fest where people hear leaders talking about how every idea that they have is right and we should fear the other leader on the stage. And people can smell a mile away that that is about winning an election and not about them. I am not in this about winning an election. My goal is not beating Doug Ford, it's not winning the next election night. Our goal is the last day of our last mandate where the people of Ontario, their lives are better because we are there. That's what I'm going to talk about on that debate stage. I'm going to talk about well-being in this province and the things that the provincial government can do that will help the people of Ontario. People are looking for someone in politics who is not there because of the job or because they want to win, but they are there for them. And what qualifies me to do this is I am truly a public servant that is in my core and where this comes from From me. I have a clear vision of what I want to see happen in this province. And number three, and I think this is the rarest in politics today, I have the humility to know that this is actually not about me. It is not about the leader. It's not about one of the six of us on this stage. It is about a group of people coming together around the kind of change that we want to make in the province of Ontario. That is what leadership is, that is what I would be talking about on this stage, and that is what we need to embody as a party.
1: So,
4: I think being on the stage with Andrea Horvath and Doug Ford, one of the first things that I would say is that we can't afford another four years of Ford. When you look at the mess that Doug Ford has made of our education system, he ripped up our climate plan and uh, put in a substandard plan that the auditor general says doesn't meet the bar. And our healthcare system, there's a big question mark. We just don't know. A lot of our services and decisions in healthcare are now waiting for a new system to emerge. And we just can't afford that. Ontarians have to be ready for a changing future and a changing economy. And we need strong leadership, proven leadership, to take us forward. I would say to Andrea Horvath, your best chance was in 2018 and you didn't make it. And, you know, as, as far as I see, I'm not sure why she is still leading the NDP. I, I just don't see it. And, um, you know, I, it's up to them, but I'm not seeing any inspiring ideas or any r- challenges coming from her in terms of Doug Ford's leadership. You know, a simple thing like he canceled Canada Day at Queen's Park. You know, we're celebrating our province and our our country's uh, birth (coughs) and and he cancelled it. I brought it back because, you know, we need to have um, a party that can bring forward those ideas that are important to Ontarians. And whether that be climate action plan, an education policy, that we have an excellent education system today but we can't rest on our laurels. We have to make sure that the young people in this province are ready for that future. And they're they're focused with the education that can allow us as a province to compete. Investments in education is an economic plan. And Doug Ford just simply does not understand that. And we have to be forward thinking when we think of transit. You know, the fact that he canceled the Hamilton LRT, a project that was so well advanced. We need to do more, not less to prepare for the growth and the opportunities. You know, he's celebrating 2019. We had a very strong economic year. But that's not based on his policies. That's based on liberal policies, liberal investments that are now coming forward in terms of our economy. And you know, when we think of Ontario for that future, we have to think about the change that will take us there and the leadership that will take us there and I believe that I bring that forward for Ontarians.
3: Great. Okay. Um, so John wanted to fast forward, I wanted to take a moment and I hope we could take a moment to reflect back on the last election that resulted in the worst defeat of your party. Um, it's often said that uh, if you, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So what is the one lesson that you have learned from the last election? For example, Mitzi, you said uh, you didn't listen. What have you heard? What didn't you listen to?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's what I've heard uh, repeatedly and, you know, whether I'm in the north, uh, in rural Ontario, um, it, across the GTA, is that we didn't listen. And uh, and we have to make sure that we're a party that listens to Ontarians. One of the uh, first uh, bold policies that I put forward is, as a party, we would knock on a million doors before the next election. We would do that together so that, first of all, particularly in those uh, ridings that are unheld. That they see a liberal come to their door and talk and listen to them about what they care about and so that that um, stance of listening to take action is something that I believe that Ontarians are looking for I, I actually don't believe that um, This is the fight of our lives, Stephen. I actually think the fight of our lives happened in 2018. I believe that now we need to move forward. Uh, We've just recently come through a federal election that uh, Ontarians overwhelmingly voted for Liberals. They answered the ballot question about climate change and about climate action. And uh, and they want to see a province that actually respects the environment, that puts a price on carbon and on pollution in this province for, for present and future generations. So so I think that that stance of, of listening to take action that matters to people in this province is one of the things that as liberals we can put forward. There are 1.1 million people who voted liberal in the last election, and that's a place in which for us to start building.
3: Stephen, you're a big part of the last government. What was the one lesson that you learned from the last election?
9: You know, I think as Liberals, we have to remember that not just over four years, but over (coughs) 15 years, there was a remarkable amount of progress that we delivered for the people of this province. When I started touring towards the end of last January, it's almost a year now, I've traveled now, as I said earlier, dozens and dozens of communities. We all have. I haven't met a single person in this province who said to me, for example, you know, I really wish we were burning coal again to produce electricity. I haven't met a parent anywhere, in this, absolutely. That's because of Ontario Liberals, right? I haven't met a single parent who said to me, you know, the most important priority for me and my family is that you cancel full day kindergarten or that you pave over the green belt or that you don't hire doctors, nurses, that you don't increase grad rates and shrink class sizes. There was a lot that we accomplished and that we should be proud of. We were not a perfect government, not in the last four years and not over the, entire, the entirety of our time in office. My sense of it is that towards the end, despite our best intentions, there was a very, very strong feeling in many parts of Ontario that we had stopped listening in order to lead or bring the people with us. And there was a perception that instead of doing that listening and leading, that we were spending a little bit too much time inside the bubble and lecturing. There's one thing that I think most liberals know is particularly corrosive to our I'll say our brand when it comes to the electorate, and that is the notion that somehow we feel we have an entitlement to govern. We don't have an entitlement to govern. We cannot afford to come across, even when it's well-intentioned, like there's a bit of arrogance that's set in. This is a great opportunity. Other candidates have said this on the stage. For all of us to write the next great chapter of Ontario Liberalism's story, But the way that we make that happen is by listening by listening, by showing up in places in this province in which we have not elected liberals for many cycles. And when it's tough and they're angry, show up again. And then show up again. And keep doing that relentlessly until they realize that we're on their side too. And I think if we do that, and we do that without fail, in good days, bad days, we have the kind of policies that actually resonate with people again at that gut level, Remember, voters are human beings, and human beings are not robots. They are emotional at their core. Tell more stories. Reach them at that visceral level. Help them understand fundamentally that we're on their side. I think we can do that again. And I'm still very proud of the track record of progress that we delivered for Ontario.
2: Uh, okay, we have, uh, we're gonna move to audience questions. We have the first uh, question uh, from the audience. It is, uh, what makes you uh, feel you're best prepared to be commander in chief? Oh wait, that's the wrong debate, sorry. Um, uh, by the way, I think this debate tonight is better than last night. Um, what is your transit vision for Ontario? Feel free to be as big, bold, broad, specific and realistic as you wish. That's a big, bold, broad, specific, realistic uh, within those walls. Uh, Why don't we start with Michael. Well, thank you very much. Um, I put out a a
7: document called uh, Greener Ontario that talked about transit. And um, the big question when it comes to transit, we know that in about 12 years from now, uh, we're gonna see a massive transformation in regards to how we move around. They're saying that uh, by 2030, uh, by 2032, roughly, 90% of the cars on the streets will be owned by fleets and we'll just have subscriptions to move around from place to place, much like we have Netflix uh, subscriptions, a monthly fee. So the world's gonna change. So we have to get into the business of understanding what our roads are gonna look like. You know, When we have automated cars that are here, uh, our parking lots are gonna disappear and 30% of the land in in a city like Toronto is going to be open up for uh, things like affordable housing. You know when it comes to the city of Toronto I talked about over the next 10 years aspiring to remove the fare for transit and actually in the New York Times today there was an article about how mayors in different cities are moving towards free transit. On one hand we spend billions of dollars fighting climate change, (coughs) on the other side we actually make it harder for people to use public transit. Uh, Two days ago Uh, I saw, excuse me, um, two days ago I saw a a story about how, I apologize, how Metrolinx wants to start charging now for parking spots. So we're making it more difficult every single day for people to move around. We started off with with free transit for 12 and under in the city of Toronto and many other parts of uh, Canada. There's similar uh, propositions. I believe that if we're going to fight climate change, we have to open up transit and consider free transit in cities like Toronto and in the, the GTA uh, H, and uh, set up a new deal for municipalities uh, to give them the resources to make decisions for themselves to green their fleets and look forward to uh, to new transit <clears throat> strategies in Ontario. Fight climate change by moving people around in the most effective way and get people out of their cars and onto uh, onto public transit. The thank you. Could I get a show of hands, uh, the ca- <laughs> show
3: of, hands <laughs> of the candidates on this stage that support? Michael's idea of free transit. Any other candidates support that?
9: You want to talk about Alan. free or more affordable?
3: Right,
9: he says free. No, I just wasn't sure what the question <laughs> about the question.
3: Free transit.
7: Yeah, so my, my proposition in the, in the plan I have is taking the next 10 years to look for ways to reduce the barriers for <coughs> transit uh, costs, and that could be moving incrementally over 10 years right. to, uh, to look for ways to reduce that burden and get people out of their cars. We know that even when you do, uh, for example, uh, free transit between 10 and 12 uh, on certain routes, you will start to see uh, an offset of people using their vehicles. So it's, it's those types of incentives and that type of uh, bold thinking I believe we need to bring into public transit. It's a 10-year plan to, uh, to move towards, at the very end, to get free transit and explore all different options to get to that point. Um, so my
6: transit plan is yes. Thank you. My transit plan is yes to Michael's, yes to Missy's, yes to Kate's, yes to Stevens, because I'm sick and tired of talking about redrawing the map and coming up with a new plan again. Right? We have plans on the books. I used to work for Brad Duguid and Glenn Murray, and we talked about the damn Scarborough subway ten years ago. It is going to be another ten years before this thing is built because we keep debating it over and over again, whether or not should we build it, where should the line go, uh, uh, environmental assessments get done and then get torn up and get redone again, taxes, this, that, and the other thing. We need to start building. We've got plans on the books right now. Let's do them. Let's bring back the plans that make sense and move forward on transit. That's what we need to do.
5: So I'm really glad to hear Michael start from a position of climate change. It's an existential threat. It's something we need to be taking more seriously. But my approach would be quite different. I often tell this story. After this event tonight, if I wanted to get home to London, the only option for me is a Greyhound bus that gets me home at 1.30 in the morning, a trip that should be under two hours this time of day. And so instead, you sit and watch single-occupant vehicles go up and down the 401 because they have no other choice. And for many families, it is both one of their largest monthly expenses and their largest contribution of greenhouse gas emissions. So instead of spending billions of dollars, about four billion per year, just to make our existing transit free, I would much prefer to see that investment in expanding transit all over Ontario. We need people to have greener and affordable options for connecting communities across the province. In each city, we need to build better transit systems so that it is convenient enough, affordable enough, and reliable enough that people actually start using it. There will always be a portion of the population, I believe as well, for whom transit doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons. And so we need to be looking at that too. Ontario is the only province in Canada where the sale of electric vehicles went down last year. And so we have a very aggressive plan to turn that tide and use it as an economic opportunity for this province. So instead of implementing, uh, I share the goal of making transit affordable, but I think it's a regressive approach that doesn't solve the problem of needing more transit in the province of Ontario. So if you are looking for big, bold ideas, it is about connecting every community in this province with a fleet of electric buses as quickly as we can and making opportunities for people to get around in a greener and more affordable way possible for every single Ontarian.
3: Just as a follow-up to this, the previous Liberal government pulled the rug out from the Toronto government when they wouldn't allow them to toll roads. So some would say setting transit back decades. So would any of the candidates here allow Toronto permission to toll the roads?
8: Yes. <clears throat> Brenda? Uh, no, I mean, my vision for Ontario has to do with increasing uh, access to economic innovation and creating barriers to the economy by uh, tolling roads that people need to get in between uh, interferes with uh, the economic goals that I have for the province
6: and, Carmen, can I just justify sure. that just very quickly, is that it's about respecting local decisions, and when the Toronto City Council decided to implement a new yes. revenue generator, it's about respecting that and not having the province jump in.
5: Can we do more of the hand-raising, though? Those are fun questions. <laughs> 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 That's a good model. <clears throat>
3: Did you want to see
4: Kate?
5: No, I, I was going to okay. um, say the same point as Elvin. This uh, is about respecting Mitzi, local Mitzi authority. Mitzi?
4: So I, I want to address your first question, and, uh, you know, I support public transit. It's something that in 2013, I was the subway champion. I was elected because I wanted to see the Bloor-Danforth Line 2 extended to the city centre in Scarborough. 600,000 people live in my community and uh, 30% of the land mass in Toronto, we have no rapid transit system to speak of. People are languishing on buses for hours and hours a day. And so getting transit built in the... Toronto area is absolutely something that we have to do. We have to have a program that continuously builds out the system to connect people to jobs, to places of worship, and to anywhere that they want to move to. At the same time, as I look around the province, and particularly in our rural communities and towns, people need access to jobs, to institutions, to health services, and they really do not have a way for getting back home. I've talked to students at the University of Ottawa, Carleton, who, who say, you know what, I can't afford to go home, and I, even if I wanted to, I don't have the means of, of the way, to the route to get there in a reasonable amount of time. And so I do think that it is time in our province that we build a transit network with nodes that connects people in small town rural communities to hubs and so that people can make decisions on where they want to live and uh, go to school and work in this province. I just want to also bring back the notion of a bolder, bigger vision for Ontario, and that is connecting our major uh, centres, airports, and all of those, those um places with transit links that are rapid, that get people to the cities and to the communities, to the economic centers where they need to go to. You know, we are a, a province that is world leading, world leading centers, technology, businesses and companies, and our infrastructure that underpins that is not yet at a mature level. And we it's time that we have that vision, and, uh, and I agree with, uh, Alvin, that we can't keep changing that map. We have to professionalize um, how that is built out and, um, and just just get it done, have a program that invests year over year until we have a network that underpins our potential and our capacity in this province. Stephen, did you want to speak on transit?
9: I'd love to speak on transit. Also I'm just going to hazard a guess that, that was a Chris Drew question that we're all fielding at this moment. Chris is... I hear laughter in the audience. Chris is one of the most staunch advocates for transit expansion in Brampton, across the GTHA, and across the province. So I'm just guessing, and he's blushing, so I know it was Chris. I wanna thank him for his advocacy. You know, the really, the most wonderful thing that you're hearing about this particular response from all of us here tonight on the stage, and this is critically important for us to remember, every single liberal leadership candidate, and I suspect every single Ontario liberal, whether we're here in the GTHA or beyond, believes in building transit. Doug Ford has now proven he believes in killing transit. And that's a really, really important contrast. And it's not the first time here in this region that Ontario Conservatives have killed major transit projects a generation ago. I mean, today in Ontario, thanks to Ontario Liberals, we are currently building, as a province, the largest public transit project in Ontario history. It's called the Eglinton Crosstown. That would have been a subway today, largely, if another Conservative Premier hadn't killed that one. So as an article of faith going forward, it's phenomenal that there's unanimity on the stage, that transit is good and it needs to be built. And it needs to be built in a sustained and ongoing way across the GTHA and across Ontario. I will say that my own personal feeling about the affordability of transit is where Carmen kind of started taking us in response to Michael's position on free transit. There is nothing at all wrong with having that as the long-term goal. Mm -hmm. Making transit more affordable across all age groups and times and days of the week is a really, really good goal to have. But you know, and look, we're here in Toronto right now, though I recognize there are very, very significant transit needs across the province, we know that the physical infrastructure of the transit system here in Toronto today is under extreme pressure. And if we move too quickly, across the board with making transit far more affordable, we run the risk of actually making that dramatically, uh, dramatically more dangerous, dramatically less safe for commuters, and pushing even more strain onto the system. One of the things I proposed a few months ago was that we could look at a steep discount, 50%, half off for off-peak transit fares across Ontario. What would that mean in Toronto today? If you're someone who can start work just a little bit earlier, or a little bit later, or you're a student or you're a senior, and you adjust your commuter pattern just a little bit, you can save hundreds and hundreds of dollars. If you're a net new rider to the system, that's new revenue for the system. And if we can shave down the really extreme peaks of usage that we see during rush hours in the morning and the afternoon, that helps extend the life of the system that we have, the physical system that we have. We need to build transit on every corner of Ontario. The last challenge that we face on transit I've never seen a transit project that can go from start to finish in a four-year time frame, And unfortunately, when it comes to transit, that's what our electoral cycles look like. So I think Alvin made a really good point here in this region and beyond. If I'm ultimately elected leader of our party and premier of this province, I won't change the lines on the map. If there's a project, whether we have all the information today in front of us or not, that the current government has advanced to a reasonable stage, we'll get on with building it, because frankly, the people of this region, people across this province, are tired of the gridlock they grapple with, day in, day out. And we need to keep building. This, for me, is a nonpartisan issue. Thank you.:
2: Thank you. Uh, we actually have our first specific candidate-specific question, which is for Brenda, um, which is an interesting. Uh, you're a new face yes. in the party to many. And this individual who sends this question in would love to hear why you've joined the party and how to get other faces, new faces, involved. What What motivated you to get involved? What issues? Uh, or or people, and what's your advice on how to get other new faces involved?
8: Right, I love that question. Thanks very much for asking it. I am not a new Liberal. I'm a new candidate. I'm not a new Liberal. I uh, actually canvassed with my mother when I was five years old. So I've been at it a while, but not in the capacity as a candidate. But I love the question about how do we get people who haven't been, uh, you know, policy wonks or uh, politicos, how do we get them involved? because I think that is actually essential to revitalize this party, and as part of the renewal of this party, we need to do outreach. So I was quite inspired by actually by what um, the Trudeau government did in 2015 um, when it was getting ready for the election, and it uh, looked out and tried to identify people through a selection committee to make sure that they had candidates Uh, from all walks of life and we end up with farmers and doctors and an astronaut. Uh, Incredible depth and range of experiences. So I think one part of the solution is um, a selection committee uh, that looks for different kinds of people. I think the other thing though is I've actually been thinking about this for a long time and it was actually very hard. Um, You know you don't necessarily want to tell anybody when you're just exploring it and you don't know what's possible It was very hard to find information about how to take that first step when I was thinking about running for a nomination um, or like where do you go there is some uh, there is some information on the website but it's not comprehensive enough for someone in my shoes I have a big job and a lot of responsibilities for me to sort of park that or start thinking about parking that, I needed a lot more information than what was available on the web and what is still available. We're gonna go into a massive nomination process not very long from now. We need to do much better at compiling information. I know the party has put together what looks like an excellent package for PLAs to improve how they fundraise, how they organize volunteers. There needs to be a package like that readily available Uh, for people who are interested in being a candidate. And then there has to be Candidate University. I would have loved Candidate University, I can tell you. And I know that, um, you know, I'm not alone. I've heard that from a lot of people. So there are a lot of things we could do to make it easier for people like me to step forward. So thank you for the questions.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) University. And um,
3: we've gotten a couple of questions that relate to spending, so I'll just read one of them. Ontarians were not just angry at the Liberals for not listening. They were opposed to what they saw as runaway spending. <coughs> a balanced budget was promised and discarded. What is your position on a fiscally responsible government? And to that, I would add, would you be increasing taxes to bring in more revenue? And if not, what services are on the chopping block? Who are you asking? Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, Mitzi. Mitzi. Sure. <laughs> so I I spent a lot of time thinking about this uh this question as the finance critic and you know the the fact is that we should not buy in to the false facts that uh, the Ford government has put out there on a $15 billion deficit. This is a number that they completely constructed to support uh, what they really wanted to do, which was to cut programs and services in, in this province. So um, even the public accounts came in uh, to to prove that as well. Um, so so from that basis, um, I absolutely believe that uh, that we need to um, have fiscal responsibility in what we do as liberals. Uh, we talked a lot today about the investments that we want to make in this province to grow the province, to grow the economy of the province, to invest in important services that people would, would expect uh, in education, healthcare, um, and, uh, and stewarding our environment, justice, um, indigenous reconciliations, are all, all aspects uh, of, of, our, of Ontarians that really need mm-hmm. to be addressed. But we have to do that um, in a way that uh, is is manageable. And
2: um, I'm going to try and give everybody 30 seconds on this because I think carm has got a really important question and we've had it from a number of people in the audience. Uh, So can I just uh, answer the last part of that, which is
4: um, I don't believe that there is room for us to increase taxes, particularly on the middle class at at this point point in time, Uh, I would hold those taxes steady, but if you look at my housing policy, I have included taxes in there that builds more affordable housing, um, foreign buyers tax, increasing that, taxing Airbnb, and those types of things that can bring incremental revenues into the province for specific priorities.
2: Okay, so let's give 45 seconds. uh, So... (laughs) Everybody here is making commitments uh, to expand uh, services or the capital program, so would you raise taxes, uh, and what taxes, or would you make cuts? Um, Kate.
5: Sure. Uh, Ontarians are very worried about the finances of the province. We heard this over and over again in the last election. I think it speaks to how worried people feel about their personal financial situation in many cases, and when they hear big numbers around debt or they see budgets that are full of many commitments, it makes them very worried. And so to earn back people's trust, we have to show that we understand how to manage the books of the province. Fair or not, that was a worry that people had. One thing that you should be expecting of all of us and that I can commit to in this campaign is every idea that we put out should be costed. My policy work is being led by an economist, Mike Moffat. That was important to me because I wanna make sure we are very clear with people where we need to be investing more to solve problems we need to be able to articulate in very simple terms how we are going to pay for that. Uh, I'm not someone who will commit that we would not increase taxes. I think there are some occasions where some Ontarians may need to pay more. Um, In our plan, we also are very interested in looking at ways we can increase revenues, including through things like a foreign buyer's tax. So we need to be looking at everything um, to be able to support the kind of investments we need, but we also need to be more clear with people about what that picture looks like for them and their pocketbook.
6: Alvin, cuts or taxes? (laughs) This is a real issue that political parties have, especially progressive and centrist parties. Because we have bought into the argument that taxes are bad, we have to re-debate this with the public to say, these are the benefits and services that you get for paying your taxes. If you want better transit, it costs money. If you want better health care, it costs money. And it is our job as public representatives, to make that argument that these are investments, that every plan we have is an economic investment and is an economic plan. We waste, we spend, we lose $33 billion a year on poverty, $4 billion a year on healthcare costs, a billion dollars a year on the justice system, because we are using that system to accommodate the results of poverty instead of actually treating it. And we were talking about transportation earlier, and we're talking about, Right now, the number one job in Canada for a man is truck driver. The number one job for a woman in Canada is retail worker. So every time you take an Uber or buy something on Amazon, you are contributing to the future AI and automation of those sectors. And how are we going to be prepared for that? If we need to spend more money to make sure that our economy stays strong, then that's what we need to do, and we need to be
7: willing to fight for that.
2: Michael? Uh, Michael
7: yeah so I wouldn't raise uh, personal income taxes. I think that the affordability issue here in the province is uh, is very serious. Uh, people are struggling, but I would explore what the UK did and uh, and look to implement a digital tax. so those uh, companies that are benefiting like Amazon and uh, other big companies that are monetizing our data, um, things like that, I would uh, look to uh, to figure out a tax that would be appropriate to uh, to get some of that benefit back to Ontario. I'd also uh, look for a way to make sure that Ontarians own their own data. Um, data is the new gold, it's the new oil. And uh, we need to uh, ensure at the end of the day uh, that we own it as Ontarians. And it's just like just like our land, our prime agricultural land. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, that uh, that in um, those resources stay in uh, in public trust, And uh, that's the role of a politician uh, to make sure that there's an alignment between where the world's going and uh, the best possible policies to benefit uh, Ontarians. Thank you.
3: Brenda?
8: I think uh, to sit here in 2020 and say that at no time between 2022 and 2026 would there ever be a tax increase, it's probably not realistic to make that prediction. Um, But there are some things that we can do to increase revenue. One of the problems we have in Ontario is that that although unemployment is low, (coughs) underemployment is high. We've got many people who are working at jobs that are far uh, less lucrative than what they could be given the skills and training that they have. So one of the things that I would like to see is to increase the, um, the, the the quality jobs here in Ontario to increase the tax base in particular in tech, uh, green tech and tech generally?
9: So, I mean, the the opening uh, kind of approach with this question was, you know, there's a feeling, or there was a feeling out there, maybe still is, that we as a government were not as fiscally responsible as we could have been. You know, so I think one of the most important things for us as liberals is to, first of all, not accept the false mythology that conservatives everywhere out there by suggesting that they are strong fiscal stewards we know that their track record not only here in Ontario but elsewhere is actually pretty abysmal when it comes to fiscal responsibility but more importantly to me than that is for us to say repeatedly to the people that we're talking to our family our friends when we're knocking on doors we know as liberals how hard you work for the money that you earn and you want to see that money that you work hard to earn invested by your government in a responsible way, in a competent way, and in those things that will deliver value for you and for your family. You know, I tell people everywhere that when you or a loved one is sick and your entire life shrinks down to the size of a hospital bed, and you're looking for the doctor or the nurse practitioner to come in and tell you what the solution is in your most vulnerable moment, you're not thinking about the size of the deficit. You want the health care that you need and deserve in a province as wealthy as ours. I'm okay with the notion, as long as the investments are being made in those things that are profoundly important to us, I'm okay with the concept of running a deficit when it's a deficit that's being run on purpose because we are delivering value. Okay.
2: I think we have a a show of hands uh, question. and then Karma actually has a, a really interesting question. So this is a show of hands uh, from the audience. I'm going to try and read it here. Will you fully resolve OSAP fund bag? Uh, no, sorry. Will you fully restore OSAP funding? Uh, all those in favor?
4: Yes. It's a stated call.
9: All those opposed? OSAP. OSAP.
4: Uh, OSAP. Right?
9: That was OSAP. Yes. Yeah. Michael yeah. agreed. Okay, so
3: no need to talk about that. Everyone agrees here. Um, I like this question a lot from the audience. If you had to give your vote to one other person on this stage tonight. If you
9: had to what, sorry?
3: Give your vote vote to to one other other person person on the the stage stage tonight.
9: Don Guy, I'd give it to Don Guy.
3: What
2: do I mean? I'm running
9: (laughs) seventh on the poster. (laughs) Uh, uh,
3: uh, uh. Who would it be and why?
8: Brenda? Brenda, the new girl. (laughs) Um, Well, let me tell you what I'm looking for, the, the qualities that I'm looking for. Uh, I am looking for someone who uh, is going to be uh, a centrist, somebody who is going to present evidence-based policies, uh, somebody who is committed to, uh, not necessarily a woman, but committed to women in politics and policies to make sure that women take their place. Because I can tell you, with the access that I have to liberalists, uh, there are way fewer female members. If you don't know this, there are way fewer female liberals than there are, are male. So I would like to see somebody who's committed to that. It's a, it's a, you look surprised, John. Ajax, 125 uh, men, 14 women. So that's what we're looking at. So I am looking for, for a leader, assuming if it were not me, I would be looking for a leader who's committed to that kind of uh, advocacy and effort to make sure that the party reflects uh, the demographics?
5: Kate, who would you support? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said this was gonna be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a very tough question and I, (laughs) indeed. uh, I think we are at a stage in the race where like all of you, we are also paying very close attention to one another. And we are listening for those value signals about the things that we care about Each of us is on this stage because we think that we would be the best leader of this party and the best premier of Ontario. All of us feel that way. Similarly to Brenda, though, I am looking for someone who cares about the equality of the people in this province. I'm interested in someone who wants to see greater diversity in leadership. I'm interested in someone who is looking to fundamentally change the culture of politics. But we are still watching each other to be able to determine that.
3: Uh, Why don't we move on? There's a direct question to Stephen. You have said that we've moved too far to the left and that you would move us to the right. Specifically, what do you believe was too far left?
9: So, for those who don't know, I I joined the Ontario Liberal Party uh, when uh, I was 15 years of age. I got invited, I'm 46 now, and so that's 31 consecutive years of activism, um, uh, provincially and federally, without missing any time. And I will tell you, in my experience, uh, notwithstanding who the leader is, notwithstanding which particular era uh, that we're talking about, that liberals, frankly, both provincially and federally are at our very best when we occupy the largest amount of space on the political spectrum. Having spent now 75% of my life active in this party, I can tell you that there are liberals in the party and liberals in this room tonight who I suspect are further left than I am. I also know there are liberals in this party who are further right than I am, and that is, that is the beauty of the Ontario Liberal Party. I believe in fiscal responsibility. I believe in pursuing socially progressive policies and ideas. And I know that when liberals strike the right combination between those, we're actually pretty closely aligned with most of Ontario. I don't support polarization and I don't support extremism. And that's what we see far too often, not just here in Ontario, but in other parts of North America and beyond. So let's be fiscally responsible. Let's be focused socially on progress. Let's never forget who sent us to Queen's Park to do the job and let's win in 2022.
7: Yeah, so, you know, this is an interesting question because everywhere you go in the province, people ask you, are you in the center, left, right? They always worry about this, uh, this political spectrum. Um, I think it's a trap. I think um, the same way going after Doug Ford is a trap for liberals. Um, I think we should redefine what it means to be a liberal and figure out what our policies are and where we want to go and not focus on Doug Ford it's the exact same notion of trying to define ourselves as liberals as center, left, or right. I think the world's become so complicated and policies have become so complicated that it's really hard to define uh, where we are uh, in general. Because when it comes to climate change, we are, I would say as liberals, we're very, very progressive. Uh, When it comes to fiscal management, we always aim to try to balance our books and we've done that well as liberals. I believe when it comes to education, you know, I'm a big believer of numeracy and literacy uh, in traditional education in that, in that sense when it comes to uh, uh, pedagogy and curriculum uh, delivery. Um, so I don't think we should fall into that trap. We are liberals. I think, and I always, I always use Kretschens line, you know, when the NDP think you're too right and uh, the conservatives think you're too left, you're in the perfect spot, you're a liberal. And that's what I believe in. Thank you.
3: Okay, we've gotten a couple of questions that have to do with uh, grassroots and organization and being prepared for the next election. So keeping in mind that right now there's only one liberal that's elected north of Lake Simcoe, um, how do you going to reconnect with other areas in this province, like the north, given that you are all from urban areas? Sorry,
4: Mitzi? So uh, we have to get out there. Um, I know that... um, from going to the north, north, the far north, Sioux lookout, Dryden, that there are liberals. There are liberals everywhere in this province. and uh, the the fact of the matter is is that, we have to be a party that reaches out across um, all geographic regions. Um, one of the proposals that I have is to create regional offices uh, in the Southwest, in Eastern, and, um, and and to make sure that those uh, offices are prepared to do things like candidate training, volunteer training, and really helping us to prepare for the 2022 election. Uh, we also have to have policies that... Appeal to um, to people in those communities. Uh, I know that. Uh, when I was in uh, Napanee, we talked about a rural lens and having a rural lens to policies. There's so many examples. And I, I just do a little bit of an ouch because when it comes to um, implementation, I think that's an area that we, we need to be better at when we form government, is how we implement and roll out policies that are sensitive to the needs in the north, in rural communities, and really understanding um, that not everything that's designed in a, a Queen's Park setting really applies when it goes uh, outside, so I think we have to be a party that is um, much, much more on the, on the road, on the ground, in ridings, and uh, building this party from the bottom up. It's the only way that we're gonna do it, and it's the only way that people will, uh, will turn out for us when it comes to um, the army of people that we need in every single riding, 124 of them, to be ready and to stand for the next election. And the one thing I would say, early nominations. That's also something that I heard from rural ridings. They need people in place so that they become the face of a riding where they, it takes two and three hours for them to get end to end to make sure that there is visibility uh, for the liberal, value, the liberal brand um, as early as possible.
6: Yeah. I think this is related to the question earlier when we were talking about where we lost touch and what else we need to do to re-engage people in this party. And I think it goes back to the fact there was a poll that, sorry, it wasn't from Polera. Uh, that came out uh, shortly from Abacus Data that was talking about that word cloud and what people associated with the liberal brand or the conservative brand. And the liberal brand, it was positive. There were some progressive things in there. But the pretty big negative ones were around uh, being exclusive, um, being corrupt, or things along the lines of us being an insular organization. And I think that's something that's very, very telling about what people perceive liberals to be. And when they said we lost touch, it's because they didn't see themselves reflected in the party and they didn't see themselves a way into the party. So when we have, and I'm gonna call out our party, I know it's challenging where we have uh, fiscal challenges, but we have $20 memberships and we have a delegated convention that only 2,000 people are gonna get to go to, whereas the federal cousins that we have, after they lost three consecutive federal elections, went to one member, one vote, free membership supporter class and online voting. That's how you reach more people. That's how you open the door and say, you are welcome into this party. We want you. We want to know who these 1.1 million liberal voters are so that we can grow our base and include them in it.
5: Absolutely. Uh, Uh, I am a very proud daughter of southwestern Ontario. I grew up in a small town of Exeter. I live in London. I ran in the last liberal seat in the southwest, and I lost. And when I was a kid growing up in Exeter, there was lots of liberal support in the Southwest, as David would know very well. Uh, We have an opportunity now to show the people of Ontario that we are truly interested in being a provincial party, that we understand that people care about different things depending on where they are. It is bigger than who the leader is. It's about changing the party, so when someone is willing to give of their time and their talent and get involved in a riding association, it's more than going to an AGM and going to knock on doors during a campaign, it is a meaningful opportunity to shape the direction the party's going. Holding regional policy platforms, so, uh, holding uh, regional policy conferences, having regional platforms, providing more meaningful opportunities for people all across the province to shape the direction that we go.
8: Brenda? So I, um, I agree with Kate on the last point about the, uh, the policy conventions. One of the things that I've committed to do is uh, between the leadership race and the next election is to hold three themed policy conventions in each region uh, where the leader actually attends and hears from the people in the community. I think the way to, to re- um, reconnect with the grassroots, to hear what's interesting to each specific region is to actually go there and have a Convention or a meeting that is chaired by the leader to show that we are listening to you Your views are extremely important and then just picking up on Alvin's point about the delegated convention uh, Person after person after person from places like Thunder Bay and Kenora have said to us How do you expect us to come to Mississauga for a delegated convention? $500 entry fee uh, the flights the weather the hotel if you want to send a message to the north that they're not interested or that we're not interested um, the formula for this convention may do a good job of doing that
7: yeah i'll, I'll jump in um, there's when young people come into queen's park um the the first thing i ask them is i ask them the question uh who owns this building and it usually takes you know seven ten answers before some you know, grade five in the back says, we do. And I think that's the the big challenge in politics. Um, When you walk into buildings like the legislature, uh, when you're in rooms like this, uh, when you meet a politician, it's really hard to connect to that environment or that person or, you know, that entity. And, um, you know, we need to look for ways to have people feel like they can be part of something. Uh, The best donations that I've received uh, so far, are those $5 donations from students in university Like, I've got a bunch of these $5 donations from young people in universities, and I I call them right away and I say, thank you so much for the donation, because you know when you're in university, $5 means it's a lot of money, right? Um, And it's that type of buy-in as stakeholders. When you feel like you're actually invested into that campaign or invested into that party, it's that type of buy-in where people feel like they can actually contribute ideas and policies, that they can be part of something. That's the piece that's missing. I grew up in Flemington Park at Don Mills in Eglinton across uh, from the Science Center, and I never in my life met a politician until I went looking for a politician. I went and actually walked into the Liberal uh, headquarters when I was about 17 years old, not knowing one single person in politics. And we need to find ways to give young people, uh, and any Ontarian, that access points so they feel comfortable engaging in this process, because I'll tell you, something's broken in this, uh, this process here in Ontario. People. Uh, don't feel like they can be participate, and that's why you know, someone like Doug Ford can, uh, uh, can win with uh, 20% of el- the eligible voters in this, uh, this province. We need to change that, and um, I think as a party, we just need to explore many different ways, like policy conventions, you know, get, getting out to the north, thinking about our membership fees and how people connect to us. There's so many ideas that we can be using as liberals to re-engage, but it has to start by making people feel like they can actually be part of something. And that's our biggest challenge today.
9: So, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think this particular segment of the debate, we started off by talking about those parts of the province that feel like they are no longer in touch with our party. And I was in Northumberland, Peterborough South, uh, just a couple of nights ago, and uh, this question came to me from the floor. You know, That part of rural Ontario in the Near East, if we can call it that, Um, What's the problem? How are we gonna fix that as liberals? And it's interesting because when you track back over, again, over the 15 years that we were in power and you think about policy outcomes for people living in rural Ontario or Northern or remote communities, on balance, again, on policy terms, we actually did a lot. We accomplished a lot. You know, absolutely. I mean, I think of Carol Mitchell and Jeff Leal uh, standing up for rural Ontario. I think of people like Michael Gravel standing up for the North, investing in highways, supporting our agri-food sector, one of the most important parts of our economy. We did that. You know, when our federal government was renegotiating NAFTA, we had representatives like Jeff at every one of those meetings to stand up for those parts of Ontario that today no longer feel like we represent them. To me, the challenge in dealing with rural, small town and remote Ontario as a party and ultimately as a government is that it's not just about policy. They, again, don't actually think at a visceral level that we're on their side. We saw evidence of this in this most recent federal campaign where our federal party had delivered from many parts of Ontario, but we saw in rural Ontario, voters turning their backs on us. There's a larger question. It's a little bit existential, like as if they feel that we're too far inside the bubble, we're too focused on urban centers, even though the policies would suggest otherwise. So I said this earlier tonight, just as we've all run for leader, the first commandment for liberals to rebuild in rural small town and remote Ontario is to show up and to keep showing up and don't lecture. And when there are disagreements on policy, which frankly are allowed in a democracy, don't pretend that their values are inferior to ours. And don't give them the sense because they're Ontarians just like us. I mean, I don't come from rural or remote Ontario. I'm a GTA guy but they're Ontarians. They're just as invested in this province's future as we are living in the GTA for many of us in the room tonight. So show up. The conversations will not be easy at the beginning, but show up again and again and again and make sure that our platform of ideas heading into the next campaign reflects the anxieties and the hopes that they have as well as those who live in urban and suburban Ontario. We did it before. When we came back to power in 2003, we held seats in every kind of riding in this province. That wasn't 50 years ago, it wasn't 40 years ago, it was four cycles ago. We can do this work, and the best part of all is nothing's holding us back. We are at the point in our party, and I said this earlier tonight, where how we go forward with the next chapter of our party's story is up to us to write. And that's what I would focus on.
3: All right, let's take everyone back to a policy discussion. Um, As we've seen from the federal conservatives, you really need to do more than just win a leadership. You need to be able to galvanize the general public to vote for you in a general election. So my question is, what is the one idea that you're advancing that sets you apart from the others on the stage and that you think will help you win the next general election?
6: Alvin. Okay, I'm going to stand up for this. Um, (laughs) A little while ago, I announced a plan that talked about merging our Catholic and non-Catholic school boards. And this is something that a lot of people feel is a divisive issue. But I will tell you from the very beginning, it is divisive right now. We divide our students based on their religion, whether or not they're Catholic or not. We divide whether the teachers who can teach there are Catholic or not. And it's not an accessible system as a father of three who happens to be Catholic and whose wife happens to have French language rights. I have access to four times the amount of education systems in this province than 70% of the population. (laughs) Now there are things that I think that we could bridge and I understand that not everyone is going to agree on this, but 71% of Ontarians polled last month by the Toronto Sun of all agencies said that they support merging our Catholic and non-Catholic school board. Abacus Data did a poll a month before that that said 40% of Catholics in this province want to see one system because they see it as an opportunity to bridge the systems together. But the two biggest issues I have with this is that it's an inefficient system and we have some duplication. And there are some people here who have said already that we need to do better on that, So I'm a liberal, I'm looking for compromise. I understand that we're not going to get all the way with some of these issues, but I want to know some of the other candidates' opinions on this and if they're okay with the status quo. Because right now, I believe that there are so many students out there who don't fully get the system that they deserve and who still, to this day, have to walk around their schools on their way (laughs) while they're an LGBTQ student and hear a Uh, trustee debate whether or not they should defend their gender rights, debate whether or not what they believe and their orientation is, is equated to bestiality and pedophilia. That is not fair. We shouldn't be talking about that anymore. So how do we as liberals bridge this gap and say, can we find those inefficiencies? Can we guarantee that we are going to deliver the best system possible, even if you want to keep the system the way it is? Can we guarantee to those students who are five times more likely to commit suicide than other students that we have their back, and not just have their back as, uh, this is a nice thing to do, but how do we guarantee that they have access to the services and the treatments that they need, if they need it? That's my question to everybody.
5: Kate? My campaign is about the well-being of the people of Ontario. And when I say well-being, sometimes people think I mean granola bars and yoga pants, and I don't. (laughs) Well-being is an approach that's been used in many governments around the world, Uh, Earlier last year, New Zealand introduced the world's first well-being budget. And here is the big difference. And mark my words, this is the future of public policy. Instead of looking at the whole, measuring things like GDP and how we are all doing together, well-being is about measuring the gap. Some people in Ontario are living an amazing quality of life, and other people aren't. And we need to look at the barriers that are getting in the way, things like struggling with mental health, not having access to affordable housing, not having the kind of uh, educational opportunities that they need. It's about looking at that gap, and focusing the work and the investment of government on the things that get in the way of living an amazing quality of life. My approach, the thing that makes me stand apart, is my focus on well-being.
4: So... to <laughs> get up? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to get up. Um, I, I, I want to say again, Alvin, I, I really believe that we have an excellent education system in the province that's serving Ontario students well, it needs to improve. I absolutely agree with that. And getting boards to work together more efficiently is something that we do. Holding them accountable for curriculum, for human human rights, and um, and and Charter of Rights is absolutely something that we do. And um, and we can't follow the opinion of just an individual when we look at the system. So um, I just want to affirm that because I think that our education system is one of the things that we have invested in as liberals. Uh, We had an 18 point uh, increase in graduation rates uh, when we were in in government. Uh, My bold vision is to bring that to 90% because I think every young person needs to have an opportunity to graduate and to move on to to their careers and to their lives. what I what I want to say is that as the change candidate in this in this uh, race, we have to make sure that people are engaged in our democracy. And I want to I want to see electoral reform in Ontario. Um, when I was first elected in 2013, I championed ranked ballots for local elections. Um, in fact. Uh, and became a government-sponsored bill, and uh, the city of London ran its election uh, using Ranked Ballot in the last municipal election. Uh, we have to engage more people in our democracy. We have to have um, a way that, uh, that demonstrates that your vote matters, and the person who leads uh, this province uh, is leading it with more than 50% of the vote. So I think first past the post, out, and bring in electoral reform. Stephen.
9: Can you just remind me what the original question yeah. was? Sorry. Um,
3: what is the one idea that sets you apart uh. from everyone else?
9: So I think, you know I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here tonight and pretend that I can tell you um, like I'm a psychic, that I know exactly what the most critical or salient issue will be electorally in about 30 months, give or take, when the next election is upon us. I think, for me anyway, it's a lot more important to discuss, uh, to discuss what are, those, what are those significant overarching values that you bring to the discussion that will give individual voters and individual liberals a sense of the direction you want to take the province in? And then how will you get from where we are today as a party to where we need to be? And to start on that last part really quickly first, I think the most important thing is for us to be able to successfully kickstart a very, very uh, robust and comprehensive platform development process immediately following the March convention. I think When you factor in that we will only have the 26 months until the next election begins, and when we have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of trust to rebuild with the people of Ontario, we need to be able, in particular around platform development, be able to hit the ground running. For me, the two most important things at this point in time, before we collectively as a politically family go through that process, are making sure that on the education front, public education at all levels, primary, secondary, and post-secondary, within the current board structure, I'll confirm here publicly, are properly funded. And that students, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their economic means, are truly able to go as far in life as their talent and effort will take them. And the companion piece to me that's really important that goes along with that is the notion of economic dignity. We see far too much inequality, not just necessarily around incomes, that's talked about a lot and it's not untrue, but there's an optimism inequality that attaches itself to, to the notion that exists when people no longer feel like they have a genuine chance to get ahead. I put out some ideas a number of months ago around how we can reshape the conversation so that workers who show up, who sacrifice and are dedicated can truly have equitable economic dignity while entrepreneurs are supported and honored when they're successful. And I think if we get the economic piece correct, that when we create prosperity as we have in this province, that it's more broadly shared and we attach that, we align that to funding education at the right, at the right levels with the right programming, we can move the yardsticks forward. But I wanna caution liberals. We have a lot of work to do beyond the leadership convention itself around platform development, and we do have to hit that ground running and that platform has to be able to reach voters at an emotional and compelling way. Thank you.
8: Brenda? Thanks. When my uh, campaign website went online very shortly after, I got uh, what I consider to be a life-changing form filled out by someone from Wellington Halton Hills. And this person contacted me and said, I want to talk to you about something important. So, okay, I'll talk to you about something important. I called him and he was a, he's a tech- technology expert and he wanted to make sure that I understood that in, Ontar- er, in North America, there are 1.5 million jobs in data analysis and cybersecurity that cannot be filled in North America because nobody is trained or training in these specific skills. 1.5 million jobs in North America. And I said, well, are these all sort of low end jobs that nobody wants? And He said, no, he said there are some semi-skilled jobs that would be suitable for people who formerly worked in a factory, but there are, lots of jobs that are high-end jobs. And right now, they're going to India, China, and the Philippines. And he said, quite frankly, we don't want our cybersecurity done in China, we want it done in North America. So what do you do? He said, you need to champion that Ontario is going to become the center for uh, cybersecurity and data analysis uh, expertise. That we are going to create the hub To train the people to do these jobs so that all of the jurisdictions in North America look to us for this level of expertise. We've got excellent computer scientists, we've got excellent engineers. We are certainly well-positioned to do this, so that's my big idea. Michael, your one idea?
7: Yeah, so it's really setting the stage for the new economy. Um, When we look at Ontario, we haven't seen a big company scale up to the Nortel, BlackBerry level in quite some time. There are some good examples out there, uh, Shopify and other companies that are doing well, but I'm talking about that big scale kind of growth. And I think there's, uh, there's reasons for it. I think that uh, legislators here in Canada and in America in many ways have failed to keep up with uh, the growing shifts that are taking place uh, in the new economy. So I think there needs to be an alignment between regulation and where, people, uh, where businesses are going. You know, if you go into the legislature, and I use this in, as an example all the time, if you go into the legislature, and I, and I can guarantee if you ask all the MPPs in that building what is blockchain technology, I would say out of, out of all of them, maybe 5% would be able to answer the question. To me, that's a problem. It's a huge problem here in Ontario. I would make sure that we, uh, we put in legislation to protect our intellectual property, because what happens is we as citizens invest into our institutions that create this incredible IP and then uh, if it's going to scale up and be monetized, it usually takes place by another company coming in from outside of Canada to do so. I'd look for ways to protect our companies so that when they do scale up, they don't have to leave Ontario. I'd look for ways to protect our intellectual property here in the province of Ontario so we benefit from it. And when we look at foreign uh, direct investment, which we're always so proud about, Ontario, you know, number one jurisdiction for direct foreign investment, I would look at it with a, with a new filter to ensure that The foreign direct investment that's coming in is in the best interest of Ontarians and not just monetizing the good things that are happening here in the province of Ontario and moving that that wealth to another region. Uh, Those are the things I think we need to be doing as liberals to think 30 years, 50 years, and set the stage for what the future may look like. And that is the biggest (coughs) challenge we have in front of us as liberals today.
3: All right. Well, that... Pretty much wraps up the time we have for discussion. Uh, We're going to go to closing statements from each candidate. It'll be in the reverse order of opening statements. Candidates, you have one minute only. Again, sit, stand, or use a podium. Stephen, you're up first.
9: Thanks very much. Uh, So thank you again all for being here tonight. I want to thank our moderators and the Empire Club for pulling tonight's event together. Every single candidate's worked so, so hard over the last number of months to help renew the leadership of this party of ours and be ready for that next election campaign that we've talked about a lot tonight. I just want everyone to know, of course, I'm a competitive guy. And of course, I'm just a little bit biased. And I hope that there will be a way for me to be able to earn your support. Having said that, we have a a slate of candidates who are truly extraordinary. And I want you all to know that if I'm not successful on March the 7th, I will be proud to stand alongside whoever wins the leadership of our party I will be proud to do whatever I need to do to make sure that we are ready for that next election campaign. And I ask to each and every one of you, because the stakes are so, so high, because I know that we believe passionately about education, about health care, about the climate crisis, about the right economy for our future, and so much more, after the leadership convention has closed, please get involved. Please stay involved. Don't wait to be asked. In those 26 months, our new leader We'll need each and every one of you and every committed liberal across this province for the fight of our lives in 2022 so that we win the next election. And as I said at the outside tonight, get Ontario back on track. Thank you so much for being here tonight.
8: Brenda. Great. This leadership race is an opportunity for Ontario. It's an opportunity to say yes to new ideas. It's an opportunity to say yes to new voices. It's an opportunity to say yes to a better Ontario. We have an amazing slate of people here. We have had an amazing exchange of ideas over the past three or four months, and it's only going to get better. We should all be extremely optimistic about the future of Ontario, about the future of our party, because the future of Ontario is liberal. And how can we make sure that that's the case? We can get involved in our uh, PLAs right now. We were at a PLA meeting last night, all of us. The room was as packed as this one. It was amazing. But each and every one of us has been in rooms where there are three, four, six people. Please, get involved in your PLA. Show up. Let's get ready for the next election. Thank you so much.
3: Michael?
7: So this is the best opportunity Liberals have had in a long time to build a party from scratch. We have our values. We know where our values are. But we have no policy. We can build a party that's actually aligned to where the people of Ontario want to go and aspire to the next... 50 years, 100 years and position a party and a province to take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of us. It's time for us to reimagine what it means to be a liberal today. What does it mean to be a liberal? When I go across the province and ask people that question, I get many different answers. It's time for us to rethink what it means to be a liberal and bring that proposition back to the people of Ontario. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to build a party, to help build a party with you, with my colleagues here, that will reimagine Ontario. Thank you very much.
6: Kathleen Wynne used to say that government is a force for good. And Premier Dalton McGuinty used to always say that it's never too late to do the right thing. And Deb Matthews always used to say that there isn't a problem that liberals didn't want to solve. I'm sorry, Premier uh, Peterson, I was uh, barely alive when you were Premier. (laughs) You're not getting his (laughs) vote. Careful, he's an ex officio. But what I mean by that is that we have an opportunity right now to demonstrate that we can listen to Ontarians and do the bold thing and not be afraid to put forward ideas that we know a majority of Ontarians support, including a basic income, which 75% of Ontarians say they support, including merging the Catholic and non-Catholic school boards. Let's be bold. Let's not be afraid to do the right thing. Let's make sure that people understand that our party is one that believes that government is a force for good and that we can do better than the government is there right now. And we can only do that if we do that together, if we all step up and have that courage to stand in our convictions and believe what we say and to stand behind it as liberals. Thank you very much.
5: I don't need to tell you this, but politics really matters. There is nothing that affects more people's lives. And we live in a world today where people want to put up walls, where when we see that politics is driven by a personal interest or a partisan interest, it can have a very real and sometimes even tragic consequence. We live in a world where that is all around us, and there is a hunger for a kind of politics that is not about gaining and holding power, but about giving power. I am running because I want to build the kind of party where it is not, in fact, about me. It is about leadership. It is about a big group of people coming together around a set of things that we want to solve in this province, and where people know that by getting involved in politics, they too have the power to address the problems that they care about. I want to say thank you to each of you for being here. There is an extraordinary wealth of experience and knowledge in this room. There are people who have lived this and modeled what it means to be a public servant, It is an honor to be in your presence, but my question to you as I depart is the same one I started with in my opening, where I said, am I doing everything I possibly can? Am I giving everything I can to solve the problems I care about? And I would ask that same question to you. This is a moment where the world is full of division and we have an opportunity to bring people together around solving problems. So my question to you is, what are you prepared to do? Thank you very much.
4: So we had a great conversation tonight as a Liberal family. And the question before us is, how do we get there? We know that Ontario needs change, a new vision for our economy and for our social structures here in Ontario. We need a leader that's going to take us there. When it comes to the environment, housing, healthcare, education, I believe that education is the foundation of our future. You know, my parents and I, we immigrated to this country. And my my parents worked hard. My dad was a truck driver. My mom worked in an assembly plant. And they would always say to my brothers and I, you're in this country to have a better life. I never forgot that. When I became education minister, that was something that I looked at through the lens of, how do we improve the lives of everyone through this door? And that's the challenge that is ahead of us. So it is not about us having power. It is about us making a difference. Making a difference in the lives of the people of this province because we see what happens on the other side. A lot of people are hurting right now. And we need a leader that can stand up to Ford, and that can fight that fight that is important for all Ontarians so that we can have that better and that stronger future that everyone aspires to. And so I ask you, become a member, become a delegate, vote in the uh, the leadership election meetings that are coming up in your ridings and in your community so that we together, we can be that change that we need in this party and in this province for a stronger Ontario. Thank you.
2: Well, that is a wrap, and I'd just like to thank uh, everybody in the audience uh, who came out. Um, sorry, Kent, you come up? Oh, Mike, you come up? All right, <laughs> Ken's coming up? Alright, Kent's coming up.
10: Ladies and gentlemen, Kent Emerson. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Kent Emerson. I'm uh, past president of the Empire Club of Canada. And I want to thank everyone for coming tonight. I want to thank Mike jokes, he's, he says he's the only conservative in the room. I, I've seen several conservatives out tonight. And I think what we're all about at the Empire Club and what's exciting for us is that we're about the exchange of ideas in debates, no matter what background you come from, no matter what party you come from. And we uh, have been ho- hosting difficult issues since for 115 years. The first issue we hosted was about whether Canada should remain Canada or a part of the United States, which was how the Empire Club was born out of that discussion in that debate. And so I wanna thank uh, many people, including the sponsors, Marcel Weider, thank you, uh, from Aurora Strategies, and I wanna thank John Koopman. And I wanna also thank sponsors who helped out with this event and many people who helped out from the sidelines that are not public to make sure that this debate happened tonight. And I I have, I won't mention their names, but I wanna thank them and they know who they are and thank you. And I also want to say what, what a great field of candidates uh, that we've been exposed to tonight. I think the several conservatives here will offer their 90-minute uh, rebuttal just after I'm sure you all stay for that. And I, and I want to thank Don and Carmen for, for being such a fantastic moderators. And I invite the president to come up and close, close the discussion.
0: Well, thank you very much, uh, everybody, for coming out. Um, There are many more events that we're doing at the Empire Club of Canada. You can look uh, up um, them on our website. Uh, Chris Benedetti is here, and uh, he has put together an event with uh, NR Store and their CEO, Annette uh, Vershuren, that's coming up. Um, So thank you for that. Thanks to everybody here. This meeting is adjourned.